Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild Card Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Monday, August 2nd. I'm your host, Jason Moser. And on this week's financial show, we've got some more earnings to get to. Square is making a big bet on buy now, pay later. And we'll have a few stocks for you to watch as well. Joining me as always, or almost always, he wasn't here last week, but we're glad he's back here this week. It's certified financial planner, Mr. Matt Frankel. Matt, how's everything going? Pretty good. I'm, I'm not sure you could say as always, but I've, I've missed like I think two or three shows over the all years. Right. So you well, know, let's not nitpick. I can't, be, I can't, can't make them it all. It rounds to zero. It rounds to zero. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's good to have you back here. I'm glad you're able to go unplug last week and have a little vacation with the family. Sounds like you guys really enjoyed it. Um, as is the case, I think with a lot of us, even when you go on vacation, you're never fully able to unplug. I have to believe you were keeping. Uh, an eye on some of these earnings stories that were going uh, going on during during the week, but uh, let's open the show first uh, today. Let's talk about PayPal because PayPal earnings came out uh, late last week, and uh, it, it was a fairly muted reaction from the market. Stock was down a little bit. I mean, the stock has obviously done done tremendously uh, here over the past several several years. So. I mean, it, it seemed all in all like it was a strong quarter. I mean, shocker, right? It seems every quarter they just continue to, to announce these just tremendous numbers and this gross payment volume that is now um, on a run rate of well over $1 trillion. Matt, looking through this PayPal release, um, what, what I mean, what stood out to you in the quarter? Well, I mean, nothing. And I guess that's <laughs> kind of what, what, what really you were pointing to there. Nothing was really that surprising. Um, they they reached that the key milestone where they have over 400 million active users, which is a crazy accomplishment. Don't get me wrong. Um, I think Square just announced Cash App has 40 million, and that's a big deal. So PayPal has 10, 10 times the amount Square does. Um, so I mean that that was definitely a big deal. They raised their guidance slightly for uh, payment volume throughout the year. I think a lot of that has to do with consumer spending really coming back a lot quicker than people thought it would. But we are like we already knew that we've talked about that over the past few weeks. I uh, remember Bank of America reported that consumer spending's up twenty two percent year over year, something to that effect, and um, and we're seeing that reflected in some of these payment processors. I gotta say, PayPal's like starting to get into like the category of Visa and Mastercard now with <laughs> with its size. Well, I mean, it's a it's but, it's better than three hundred billion dollar market cap now. So I mean, you're you're really not far off, right? It just like just the sheer size of the business and just the ecosystem they've built. Um, I don't know if, if, if there's, if, you know, they've just set the barrier to entry so high. I don't know if anyone's going to be able to compete with PayPal really for any of the, for, uh, the, you know, the online payment processing business. Um, you, like you said, now they're over $1.2 trillion in annualized revenue or I have an annualized payment volume. Yeah. That is, yeah, that's a staggering number. It is. It is a lot. Now, I mean, to, to your point earlier, I mean, over 400 million active accounts now. And I mean, that, that obviously a, a, a massive, uh, a, a massive goal, a massive accomplishment there. And, and really, those are 400 million. I mean, there are a lot of folks that are using this platform 
on a regular basis, and and so they even raised guidance for the net uh, the net new uh, additions. They're calling for fifty two to fifty five additionals uh, here in fiscal twenty twenty one. Um, it, and obviously Venmo is, is a big part of this. Um, I don't know if you, if you were able to look at those Venmo numbers, but it was pretty impressive just to see with that one network alone, pushing through $58 billion in total payment volume for the quarter, over 76 million active accounts now. And, and just to your point about Square, and it's not to take anything away from Square and Cash App, but, but the Venmo numbers, I think at least puts that into perspective for all that Square has done so well, you look at really what PayPal has done, and it's it's really pretty amazing. Well, I, I have to announce, I finally joined Venmo during this quarter, <laughs> so I was one of the new ads. Did you have to? Did you have to get some money to one of your kids or something? I mean, why? What would force you? The, what forced your hand? Uh, well, no, we remember we recently bought a vacation rental, so I got it so people could pay us when they stay there uh, and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, good idea. Um, they they processed I think fifty eight billion dollars in payment volume uh, during the quarter. That's more than Square did in in the merchant in the yeah in the merchant side of its business. Um, and that was fifty eight percent growth year over year. Venmo is still growing very rapidly. It is. Um, that's the if you remember that's the side of the business they haven't really figured out how to monetize great yet. Um, most of their revenue still comes from PayPal, not Venmo. So as Venmo scales the ability to monetize that's going to get greater and greater or the, the you know the importance of monetizing that's going to get greater and greater so I, I that's what I'm going to be watching going forward is how well they're monetizing Venmo um, so it, it's it's not just about building up the users they could build it up to a billion users if you can't monetize them then I'm you know I'm not that excited yeah yeah well that's a good point I mean to that to that to that point um, I mean a one of the big one one of the buzzwords, one of the buzz phrases we've been seeing uh, over the past several quarters coming from PayPal management, uh, and, and it's it's every quarter in investor presentations we hear more and more talk of the super app, uh, right? I mean they they talk about this 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 PayPal experience, this platform where ultimately you can pretty much get anything accomplished that you need to in your financial life, and and I I don't know. If we can expect that here during this coming quarter, but it sounds like over the next several months at least. So if not this quarter, then leading into the all important holiday quarter in 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 on into to 2022, I mean, we're gonna see something roll out here that will be a bit of a different experience because it's going to incorporate all sorts of different financial services into this one grand PayPal experience. Yeah, this sounds really familiar because a lot of fintechs are doing the same thing. I know uh, Square, when Sarah Fryer was CEO, CFO of the company, said that they want she wanted Square to be able to do anything a bank can do. Um, I think uh, David Solomon, when he was, I think, just president of Goldman Sachs, said the same thing about Mark, the Marcus platform, that he wanted that to you know essentially replace traditional banks for people. So, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a, an interesting strategy, and it's really a great path toward customer retention. And because PayPal has, like I said, 10 times the active user base of Square, I think they have a big edge going into that if they can really, if they could pull off the all-in-one financial app. No one's been able to do it yet, completely replace the traditional bank in one single app yet. But if PayPal can can pull it off, like you just mentioned, then it's going to be a big sticky business for them. Yeah, I'd imagine so. And I think it probably it's a bigger opportunity for 
up and comers in in the in the workforce, right? I mean, I don't know that they're necessarily going to be convincing me to move all of my brokerage stuff and bill pay stuff and banking and stuff and all that. I don't know that it's going to be really that attractive a proposition for for someone like me, perhaps even you. But we're fe- fairly well established in our financial lives and the routines and the accounts that, that we have. But the up-and-comers that are just starting to establish banking relationships, right? A lot of those Venmo, that that demographic that Venmo really focuses on, I mean, it does feel like that's going to be the real opportunity for this super app mentality. It's for those younger younger customers that are just starting to uh, step into to that to that financial independence uh, world, so to speak. Yeah, it feels kind of like the, the lemonade insurance model, like land, like renters insurance, land them while they're in their 20s. And then you have a customer relationship for the next 50 years because everyone always needs either renters or homeowners insurance. <laughs> well, so you know, everyone always needs financial services. But you know, like you said, guys like me and you, like I have my investment accounts at TD Ameritrade. I have a Wells Fargo bank account. I have, you know, I use five or six different institutions for my financial life, and I've gotten used to them. <laughs> I'm pretty, you know, I, I never thought I'd become one of those, oh, you know, older guys who's set in his ways, but I'm definitely on my way there. <laughs> well, it's a lot um, of work to shut that stuff down <laughs> it, and move it's everything a lot of switching. over. Yeah, it's 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 a, a big switching experience. Um, so, but if they can land someone like me, you know, 20 years younger, that's a customer for 50 years that could, you know, eventually build up into a big client. Um, you know, people in their early 20s don't have a ton of money, right? For the most part. But that's not the point. The point is you land that customer and keep that relationship for decades, and it, and it really will pay off over the long run. Yeah. Well, it certainly sounds like that's that's the intention there, given all of the features and services that uh, will ultimately be incorporated into this uh, experience. So, be something worth keeping an eye on. And, and speaking of uh, broadening the broadening the experience and more more uh, features and services, uh, Square last night announced that it's going to be acquiring Afterpay, the Australian company known for its buy now pay later platform. Uh, we we call that BNPL, right? Um, Matt, this is a this is a big deal. Now Square also uh, dropped earnings as well with this release, so we'll get into the earnings side of the story here in just a few minutes. But let's talk about the the Afterpay acquisition because. I mean, I, 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 I understand the enthusiasm here. I really do. I mean, buy now, pay later is a tremendous opportunity. $30 billion is a tremendous price tag for this business. <laughs> right. I think this is the biggest acquisition that either Square or PayPal has ever made. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think you're right. I mean, it is it is what... I mean, they say it's $29 billion, um, all stock deal. And I mean, I, I think it's great. At least Square is doing this at a time when, when, the, when the stock is... Uh, Close to all-time highs, right? So it's a fairly cheap form of currency, but still, I mean, that, that's that's a big price tag for a business that it's growing by leaps and bounds, but it's still a small, it's still a small, small business. Yeah, I mean, you have to. It's an all-stock deal, so Square's kind of diluting shareholders by doing it. Um, this makes Square, after today's pop, it's apparently the market likes this deal. The stock's up eleven percent today. Um, so this makes Square almost over a hundred and fifty-five billion dollar company all by itself. So they're really adding to their outstanding share count now. After today's pop, it's over thirty billion. They're paying for afterpay because it's all stock. You know, it's based on their stock price. They're giving a set number of shares. Um, Australia uh, afterpay. If you're not familiar, they're based in Australia. They're probably the most comparable competitor to a firm in the buy now pay later space. 
you know, buy now, pay later is when you see the little button when you're about to check out that says, you know, break this into six monthly payments of $100 instead of one $600 payment. That's a buy now, pay later service. Uh, PayPal has already kind of built its own. Um, Affirm is pretty big, especially in the US. Peloton is their big customer. Uh, Afterpay is, they're an Australian company, but the majority of the revenue is from North America. Um, so, why they they offer uh, interest free financing, no credit checks, standard buy now pay later features that appeal to customers. The no credit checks really is appealing, as opposed to, you know people always ask the question, well why wouldn't I just use a traditional credit card? Because then you have to go through a credit check in the process like that. Uh, with buy now pay later, you just click the button and it's set up and done. Um, if ninety eight thousand active merchant accounts, uh, it's a little over sixteen million active customers. Uh, and they're growing fast. Those numbers are up 78% and 63% year over year. Um, so they're they're growing pretty quickly. Uh, 50, uh, almost $16 billion of gross merchandise volume uh, was financed through Afterpay over the past year. So I mean, it's a pretty big company. Um, about almost $700 million in revenue. Square's paying a pretty hefty multiple of that. Well, they are, and I, you know, I was looking at this earlier just to try to keep things in context, and because you know, you had mentioned a firm, and I mean, a firm very similar business. Um, I mean, focusing on a little bit of a different uh, market opportunity, as you said, but regardless, um, a firm generally the same business, pretty similar size as far as revenue at this point. Um, similar models and that they are still working towards profitability and whatnot. But but you look at a firm, and I mean, a firm, you know, $15, $15 billion company today. And so just to sort of see the premium that uh, Afterpay is getting versus something like a firm, I think is just, it's just very, it's noteworthy, I think, for, for a, a few different reasons. I mean, it makes you wonder exactly what they what they saw in Afterpay really to, to offer such a premium. Perhaps part of that is, I mean, Afterpay, another founder-led business, uh, it seems to be two very similar cultures, though. And that's one thing that really stood out to me with Afterpay and with Square. Very similar cultures and reasons for existing, right? Focusing on economic empowerment and economic inclusion and equality. Um, I mean, acquisitions always present a fair share of risk when it comes to merging two cultures. It feels like maybe these are cultures that should mesh together fairly well. Yeah, there there are a bunch of good reasons. Uh, I mean, I read through the the investor presentation there. There are some good reasons. I mean, they want they want to integrate Afterpay into the cash into the, both the seller side of the business and cash apps, make it available for for all of Square's seller accounts, which is in the millions. Oh yeah, I mentioned you know Afterpay has ninety eight thousand active merchant accounts. Square has you know three or four million. They, I'm not sure exactly. They don't really announce that number, but it's in the millions. So they want to make Afterpay service available to every merchant on Square's ecosystem. They want to integrate it with the Cash App to make it easier for buyers to make their payments and things like that. Um, and they're going to be a buy now, pay later service because Square's focused on not just online businesses. They're focused on in-person merchant merchants as well. So buy now, pay later will be available to anyone who accepts Square for in-person purchases, which is a pretty unique feature. And Afterpay, I mentioned they only have 90, only have 98,000 uh, merchant accounts. Most of Afterpay's customers are large customers. I mentioned a firm has Peloton. Afterpay also has a lot of enterprise clients. 
Square would love to build relationships with bigger clients. If you, they break this down in their earnings reports every quarter. How much of their revenue comes from small businesses, mid-sized businesses, larger businesses? And the larger business portion has been steadily increasing over time. So this could kind of give that a little shot in the arm. So that it it kind of expands their merchant merchant relationships on both sides. Um, and it's and it's a pretty big big market that they could go after. Yeah, yeah, very big market indeed. Um, what do you think as far as and, and we'll move on to Square's earnings here in just a minute? But that old saying: sometimes it's easier to buy it than to build it. And it feels like in this case, maybe Square felt like, you know what, this is going to be something that's going to be easier to buy than to build. But the flip side of that is, I don't know. I mean, it, it, this, it, it feels like maybe building it wouldn't have been all that tough if if that was something they felt like doing. I mean, we've seen PayPal uh, build out their buy now, pay later offering, and they're witnessing a ton of success. So I guess I wonder, do you feel like Square maybe felt a little pressure here, a little pressure on the time side, like they really needed, they needed to get in into this market opportunity sooner rather than later? Maybe. And that's the really the big reason I can think of is time. Because you mentioned PayPal. I promise you PayPal didn't spend $29 billion to build out their own buy now, pay later platform. <laughs> no, I don't think they did. That seems like a big price to pay. And the, the natural question is, why couldn't Square have just built it themselves if they had that much money to throw at it? And sees that much value in the buy now pay later business. I mean, obviously they're not starting from zero. Now this this buys them seven hundred million dollars of annual rent annual revenue. Um, so they're not starting from zero, but that's a hefty price to pay. And I'm not totally sold on it. I, I like the I like the deal. I don't like the number. Yeah, I yeah. think that's a hefty price to pay. That is it is a hefty price to pay. There's no doubt about it. We'll just. Uh... Well, you know, we'll we'll have to follow this one. I mean, I, yeah, a lot a lot of different a lot of different ways it could work out, and um, yeah, it, it's it's very very interesting to see the competitive jockeying going on in the space, particularly between two companies in PayPal and Square that are proving to be really the leaders in this space, right? I mean, there is Stripe, but we can't really talk so much about Stripe because it's not a publicly traded company, at least not yet. Um, Stripe obviously holds a big big presence in this fintech uh, payment space but but for now yeah i mean it really does it does feel like you've got paypal that's done so much and it feels like square is 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 they're making a lot of decisions uh, to to stay on that same same path which uh, ultimately could work out very well but in regard to the to the quarterly results um because earnings came out along with this press release and you know i was looking through those numbers for the quarter, Matt, and I mean, it, it was—I mean—another really impressive quarter. I mean, I do think that the market likes this deal, and perhaps that's part of the enthusiasm behind the stock today. But I also believe that—I mean, this was a this was another strong quarter, and really showed the rebound, uh, particularly in that physical retail side, like you've talked about before. To show that there was there was a there was a pretty strong rebound in spending through Square's networks. Yeah, and you you really hit the nail on the head there because there is a big rebound here. Square, unlike PayPal, is more based on physical merchants. I mean, they do. There's a lot of online businesses that use Square, but they're very concentrated in physical retail. Uh, Gross profit was up 91% year over year. It's not that they grew by 91%. It's that the the business rebounded because the you know the second quarter of last year was pretty terrible um, for for any type of physical retail. They were very profitable this quarter. That was a big standout um, to me, was just the profitability of the business. Um, over $200 million in net income is one of the highest totals the company's ever posted. Um, and comparing things to a couple years ago, 
if you look at their their gross payment volume of $38.8 billion in the seller ecosystem, that's almost 50% higher than it was at the same quarter in 2019 before the pandemic. So they're up by 50% over pre-pandemic levels. They they still have over almost $7 billion in cash on the balance sheet, which remember, they're not spending a dime on the, uh, the after acquisition. That's all stock. So they're keeping that. Um, and one stat that stood out to me, and I'll end with this on, on Square's earnings, the, in the, on the cash app side, I mentioned that earlier that they hit 40 million active users. Their gross profit per active user now was $55 in the second quarter. So $55 per active user. That's two and a half times as much as it was pre-pandemic. So Square is doing a better, much better job of monetizing its cash app user base which is the key to you know profitability as we're seeing reflected in the results. So I, I like the quarter. I'm much more of a fan of their quarterly numbers than I am of the afterpay acquisition. Um, I, I'm, I'm not totally sold on the acquisition. I think it's a good fit, but not, like I said, I think they might be overpaying a little bit, but the numbers look great. I mean, I can't really fault. Their business keeps growing and they're clearly rebounding. They're clearly a big beneficiary of the reopening. I could see that continuing for the rest of the year. Because if you remember, like the first half of the second quarter was still pretty, you know, socially distanced and masked up and capacity limitations. It wasn't until, you know, mid midway through May or so when most places started lifting their their requirements. Yeah. Yeah. Even just a little bit. Um, one thing I noticed, and, and I'd be interested in your perspective here, because I am wondering if this is uh, something that would be more temporary in nature or just given what we've gone through over the past year and, and, and the, the economic stimulus that's been passed along. I, you know, I saw inflows per monthly uh, transacting active customer. Those inflows nearly doubled compared to a couple of years ago. And they noted that, that these inflows, the gross in the inflows to, to the Cash App customer is really the primary driver of, of Cash App gross profit growth. So I guess I wonder, I mean, we've seen a lot of inflows here for obvious reasons, plenty of stimulus. I mean, Square has has, has proven itself to be a, a part of the solution in giving people uh, easier access, quicker access to their money. But I, I mean, I wonder, is there, is could there be a lull in those inflows that we should expect over the course of the next year as we see monetary policy tighten a little bit? Um, I mean, obviously, stimulus won't be as significant. Um, I mean, the flip side to that is that the employment picture continue to you know could continue to to gain steam, and people are just using those those tools that Square is providing through Cash App, um, and and those inflows keep coming. I just I wonder if there's maybe not not a headwind there uh, on the horizon in regard to those inflows. No, that's a good point. Um, the the goal is for Square to convert those inflows into lasting relationships that use other types other parts of their business. So it's a question of whether they'll be able to do that successfully. Um, I mean, think of it in the context of Zoom. I mean, obviously not everyone's going to have virtual meetings forever and ever after the pandemic, but it gets people into their ecosystem that they could then use to sell other products and services to. And that's really where the big value is coming from. So same thing applies here. It's the pandemic really, you know, it's not going to last where people are, you know, saving their stimulus checks because, I don't see three or four stimulus checks per year coming indefinitely. <laughs> um, so I don't think that's going to be, that's not the point though. The point is that that money brought people into Square's ecosystem because they made it very easy for people to 
deposit their stimulus checks and and things like that uh, into the into the accounts and really could bring people into their ecosystem that they could cross sell different services and products to. It's like, oh, you deposited your stimulus check, become a, a brokerage customer, make some investments through here, buy some Bitcoin. You know, in, engagement is really the key. And it seems so far like they've been able to engage their new users really well. And it's it's a question of whether that'll continue. The, the inflows, will there will absolutely be a lull, unquestionably. So it, it we'll see what what happens with the customer engagement and how well that all the new people they brought into the Cash App ecosystem in the past year and a half or so will translate into revenue down the road. Well, before we take off this week, Matt, you have got not one, not two, but three SPACs to watch for our listeners. This is, as you said, the secret to spectacular returns, and I'm quoting you there, right? That's that's what you said. These are this is <laughs> this is the right. No, I'm just kidding, uh, but really, this could be the secret to spectacular returns. So you've got three spacs that are uh, going to be going to be out there in the markets for investors to look at. So in lieu of two to watch, we're giving you three to watch, and and, and Matt has a, a list of all three here. That these these are three spacs. Matt, let's go ahead and just start it off here. Uh, what what are the companies that you've got on your radar here, and why should we be watching them? Well, I'll start in order from when the deal was announced. A few weeks ago, we learned that a company called Nextdoor is going public through a spac deal. Um, are you familiar with Nextdoor? Do you use it? I do not know. I don't use it, but I have heard of it. Yes. Okay, they are like the social network for neighborhoods. Um, you know, people report on you know neighborhood watch programs. You operate on Nextdoor. People post things for their neighbors to read on Nextdoor. You know, items for sale, things like that. They're merging with a spec called Kosla Ventures Acquisitions Two. Ticker symbol is KVSB. It values the company at four point three billion dollars. Just to put that in context, that is very very small for a social media platform. Uh, Snap is valued at over a hundred ten billion. Uh, Pinterest, even after its recent fall, is valued for something like, I want to say, $37 billion. So a little over $4 billion is not a high valuation for a social media company, especially with some of these impressive numbers. So listen to this. One out of three U.S. households has a member registered on Nextdoor. One out of three. Really? They're in over 275,000 neighborhoods in the U.S. They have over 60 million verified users 27 million weekly active users. You mentioned Square, uh, Square's Cash App has 40 million active users. Man. So they're actually, they're pretty close. <laughs> and speaking of Square, you know who the CEO of ne- Nextdoor is? If you tell me Jack Dorsey, I'm going to go ahead and end the show right now. Close. It's Sarah Fryer. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, there's That's a why she left there. Square. She yep. left Square to be the CEO of Nextdoor. That's right. She now is, I remember that. She is per- personally participating in the pipe investment round as well as being the CEO. Nextdoor is and they they have a big opportunity to monetize. I mentioned that impressive membership base with you know over sixty million registered users. The average active user generates about ten dollars in annual revenue for Nextdoor. That's about one sixth of what the average Twitter user generates. Big opportunity to monetize. Um, they are not a profitable business yet, but in social media world, as long as you're growing and delivering the growth numbers, no one really cares about profitability <laughs> just yet. At some point, people will, but right now you're. They, they grew 49% year over year in 2020. Um, if, if you're delivering numbers like that, profit as profitability will come eventually. 
Um, eventually, when the, the merger goes through, hopefully later this year, the ticker symbol will be KIND, K-I-N-D. Uh, Nextdoor's mission is to create a kinder world through neighborhoods, and that's where the name the, the ticker comes from. But the, st- the, the user engagement statistics are just kind of off the charts with this one. Uh, they're getting almost $700 million of cash in the SPAC deal. And I'm really curious to see what Sarah Fryer can do with it because she was she was an absolute rock star at Square. And I, I'm really curious to see what she, where she takes this one. It yeah. could be the next great social media company. I mean, it really could be. It seems like if, I mean, you know, it's for neighborhoods. Maybe it's social media for older people or maybe that's... Uh... Maybe that's just Facebook now. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. Is this something that you use? Um, I'm registered. I'm not, I wouldn't call myself an active user, but I'm registered. I'm going to have to go check this out. I wonder if our neighborhood's on there. That'd be um, interesting I to find would out. bet that it is. Um, it, it's, it's an interesting company. And I, I, like I said, I, I think it's got some, some great days ahead of it, especially if it can figure out how to monetize that big user base. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, what's the next one up? Next one is Vacasa. Um, I, I, I own vacation home. I don't use Vacasa, but I have a lot of friends who do. They have nothing but good things to say about it. Vacasa is the largest full service vacation rental management company in the U S. So they are a property management company. They don't do long-term rentals. They just do vacation rentals. They're merging with a SPAC called TPG Pace Solutions. Ticker symbol is TPGS, uh, valuation of 4.5 billion. Uh, in the vacation rental world, Airbnb has a valuation of about 80 to $90 billion, depending on when you're looking at it. So pretty small company. They're getting almost half a billion dollars of cash in the deal. Um, they manage 30,000 vacation homes, mostly in the U.S. They have a very small presence in Belize and Costa Rica. Most of their operations are domestic. And I mentioned that they're the biggest vacation rental rental management company. Check out how fragmented this market is. 30,000 homes is less than a 1% market share of the vacation homes, and that's the biggest company. That's a big opportunity to grow and expand and really kind of dominate the space. Um, and they're pretty, they have some strong revenue. They generated uh, $757 million in revenue last year um, on $1.6 billion worth of gross bookings. Vacation rental management, if you're not familiar, has pretty high margins. Um, if, if I hire a property manager to, man, to manage my long-term rentals, the standard split is 90-10. I get 90% of the rent. My manager gets 10%. With vacation rentals, the industry standard is about a 60-40 split. So the manager gets 40%. There's a lot more work to do with a vacation rental. You know, They have to clean after every person. They have to manage bookings instead of just signing one lease with a tenant. There's a lot more to do. Um, so great gross profit margins. They don't expect to break even until at least 2023. But unlike Nextdoor, they actually mentioned a break even point. Nextdoor <laughs> said, we're going to be losing money for the foreseeable future. They weren't even, they didn't even try to make an effort to, to say we're going to be profitable. Um, so interesting business. Um, I like the 60-40 split that they're getting. That's a pretty nice gross profit margin. Let's see how, how much they can translate that into uh actual profits down the road. Well, if we don't see an advertisement for Vacasa with the tagline, and I'm going to go ahead and give them this one, Matt, Mikasa, Sukasa, <laughs> Vecasa. Right? I mean, it just, it, it, it writes itself. Like, you're welcome, guys. I mean, you want to get the profitability, boom, there you go. It does, and I'm going to send a clip of you saying that to them, and, and we'll see we'll see what happens with it. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, I'm gonna hold you to that. What's uh, <laughs> what's number three? 
number three was just announced this morning. So we're I, I haven't had too much time to really dig in, dig into it yet, but we'll go with it. One of our favorite companies, Boston Omaha. You know Boston Omaha. Oh, yeah. They sponsor a SPAC called Yellowstone Acquisition. So I'll give you 10 seconds to make a joke about the TV show. Well, no, I'm not. I was just going to say, <laughs> this is. I'm not making jokes about that show. It's great. <laughs> but this is one you've talked about before, though, on this show, I think, right? I remember, the, I remember you speaking about Yellowstone before. Right. I'm, I'm equally excited as a Boston Omaha investor as I am as a Yellowstone investor. Because this Boston Omaha was pretty much the only way that everyday investors could get on the sponsorship side of the SPAC game. Um, you know, everyone could buy shares of like Chamath SPACs or, you know, any of the other 500 or whatever SPACs in the market. But you couldn't be a SPAC sponsor. Um, so the, the economics of SPACs really favor the sponsor. So I'm really thrilled to see this as a big – Boston Omaha is my third largest stock position. So I'm, 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 I'm very happy to see this from that point of view. Uh, Yellowstone announced that they are merging with a company called Sky Harbor. They are a company that builds out private aviation hangar campuses. Um, essentially, they give rich people places to park their jets. How big of a uh, market opportunity is that, Matt? That's how um, my our, my colleague Dan Kaplinger and I were talking about it this morning. And, and I, I asked him because I know he's a private aviation guy. He has a, a, a small plane that he flies around up the Northeast. Um, he said this is a big market opportunity. He said to find a – he said most hangars are really not built to any sort of building code. It's nothing but a prefab metal building that, that quite frankly, people don't want to park their private jets in. And he said if you fly into one of these nice airports, which I'll get to the airports they target in a second, it could be really hard and really expensive to find private space to put your plane um, So they are operational in the Sugarland Airport in Houston. Um, which he said is a big private aviation hub. They're under construction in uh, a Miami area, uh, uh, a Miami area airport, and uh, the Nashville International Airport, um, which are big private aviation terminals as well. Entered into lease agreements in a Denver area airport, which is like the the Aspen Gateway, um, he says, and one in Phoenix. So. They're building these private hangar campuses, which are really interesting real, from a real estate perspective. I'm curious to see how this is going to translate into actual profits. They haven't released anything in terms of revenue yet. Um, the, pr- the press release says that an investor presentation and a full SEC filing are about to be published. They have not been published as of this recording. By the time you're listening to this, it might have been. Um, but we don't have too many details about the business. But here's just the economics of it. Um, the valuation of this company is the lowest of, by far the lowest of the three I'm talking about. Uh, $777 million valuation in the SPAC merger. That includes $238 million of cash they're getting. So very, very low valuation. This is a micro cap business. Um, $138 million is coming from the SPAC. Boston Omaha is putting another $55 million of its own cash in. Um, $45 million guaranteed backstop. If they can't raise any extra money, they're going to put another $45 million in. There's no pipe announced yet, which is kind of a unique part of the SPAC deal. Um, they are planning on trying to raise an additional pipe, but that's not a condition of this deal going through, um, which in a lot of SPACs, that, that's a big deal. We talked about the, the pipe round with pretty much all of these. Um, they also plan to complete an at least $80 million bond uh, offering at the time in September to raise some additional money. So 
from what Dan tells me that this is a really like cost prohibitive business and um, they're, they're raising all this capital to be able to finance it in a very attractive way that no one else will be able to match. Um, and I love this for, I love this investment for Boston Omaha because it's right up their alley. They love infrastructure investments. First of all, remember they're building out rural broadband and things like that. Um, and they wanted something that is kind of in their wheelhouse, which this definitely is, but doesn't overlap any of their current business lines, which this doesn't. So I really like this. This is kind of on the surface. I want to see some of more, some more numbers before I really give my stamp of approval. But this seems like exactly what they were looking for when they launched Yellowstone. So I like this one and I'm sure a lot of investors will as well. I think it's a really interesting business and I'm curious to hear more. Well, we will absolutely keep an eye on all three of those. Appreciate you bringing those all to our attention. And Matt, I think that's going to do it for us this week, pal. It is uh, always nice getting you back into the quote unquote studio. Glad you had a great uh, great week off and even even happier to have you back. So thanks again for digging into all this stuff and sharing your time with us today. Of course, always happy to be here. And remember, folks, you can always reach out to us on Twitter at MF Industry Focus, or you can drop us an email at industryfocus at fool.com. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks, as always, to Tim Sparks for putting the show together for us. For Matt Frankel, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.